blessing uh, to stand before you this morning and share God's word. Uh, if you're a guest with us, I'm Zach Mazin. I'm the minister to students, and uh, I'm blessed this morning to be able to share God's word with us. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 46. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. We'd love for you to turn over there. Uh, while you turn in, in your copy of scripture, I'll tell you where we're going. Sometimes it's important to know where you're going. When we get in, in the van or the car to go somewhere, our kids always ask, where are we going? Sometimes we tell them Disney World and we drive to the grocery store. So sometimes we have disappointed kids sometimes, but that's okay. But here's where we're going this morning. Uh, we're going to ask the question, how is our foundation? We're going to look carefully at uh, the foundation that we are building in our lives through the gospel. And uh, we're going to evaluate, uh, how does our foundation look? How does our discipleship life look? And we're going to, uh, Jesus is going to explain to us that we live in a very broken world. But if we build a healthy foundation in him that we can endure, that we can stand strong against the difficulties of this world. Uh, and it is, uh, it's going to be an incredible journey that we're going to take. Uh, where, where this started in, in my mind, uh, thinking through this concept of foundation, I, I read a book a few weeks ago called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, it was written by a pastor named Peter Cesaro, and uh, on the, the cover of the book struck me. That a lot of times when I'm reading books, you know, the, the cover is about as deep as I get, but the, the cover had this picture of this big iceberg on it, and, and the iceberg is really kind of the motif, the illustration all throughout the book, and uh, in it, Peter Cesaro says... Uh, that an iceberg really represents your, your life. It represents who you are as a person, that there's about 10% that emerges out of the surface, and that is the you that everyone sees. It's the surface-level you. But then there's 90% of the iceberg that remains deep beneath the surface that no one sees, that it's between you and, and Jesus. And, and, and in that 90% is really where we feel the, the work of discipleship a lot in our in our heart. It's, it's this idea of spiritual formation and what, what God does through us in this 90% really uh, affects our fruitfulness and how fruitful we are going to be to the Lord uh, out in this world. And uh, in, in verse 45, right before we get into our main passage, Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's, it's out of this abundance of that 90% below the surface is really where we can experience joy and fruitfulness through Jesus in our life. And we understand the need for foundation. It's something natural to us. When, when we moved uh, here to the Columbia area, we soon realized that we like to build houses here on sand and we like to build houses here in neighborhoods that have a lot of springs. And so we understand that it, you have to have a really solid foundation here. We started looking at homes. There was a home we loved uh, that had some foundation issues. Our realtor told us to you know, kind of stay away from that. And uh, we found a house we really liked, and we paid someone a large sum of money, what I thought was a large sum of money, to come and inspect the foundation. And so we understand that foundations are needed. And uh, here, here's the issue. So many times we will pay close attention to our earthly foundations that, in the grand scheme of things, are, are, are not eternal. They're, they're, very, um, they're just here for a short time. They're very temporary. But we will oftentimes go through seasons of our lives where we neglect the foundation that will be with us for eternity. That is our, our spiritual foundation. And so this morning, we want to look into uh, this, these words that Jesus tells us. And we want to know, how do we build a strong and solid foundation in our life? Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. 
He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are grateful, Lord, for this occasion this morning. Lord, that we can open your word. And our our plea this morning, Father, is that you would awaken our hearts, that you would speak uniquely into our hearts, Lord, and that you would lead us to change. You would lead us to awakening and transformation, Father. You'd give us a heart for people. You would give us a heart, Lord, for people in this room and people outside of this room, Father, and that you would send us from this place, Lord, with our mission and your mission in mind. Father, help us to be fruitful. Help us, Lord, to glorify you with our lives in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In verse 46, Jesus introduces us to the reality to the world we live in. The reality is that uh, we we live in a broken world. Your, Your first blank is the reality of brokenness. He says in verse 46, he asks the question, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? This is what it means to be human. I would call it the tyranny of being human is that oftentimes our beliefs and our actions do not match up. And so when our beliefs and actions do not match up, that is a sign for us that there is something wrong with our foundation. It could be a crack. It could be a little damage. It could be that we have no foundation at all. When our beliefs and our actions do not match us, we see that trouble is at hand. And so because of brokenness in our world, our, our heart is very, very broken. It's very, very sick. The prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. We see brokenness enter the world at the very beginning of our scriptures in Genesis chapter 3. We see Adam and Eve in God's place, under his rule and blessing, being perfectly provided for by God. And they stepped out of that. They stepped out of God's rule and blessing into disobedience, and they brought sin and disobedience into our world and it affects everything that we do. It affects our very mindset. It affects who we are. And that brokenness, if if we do not, through the gospel, recover and pursue God's original design for us, if that brokenness continues in our life, then we will be like the people that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This is the result of brokenness ruling and reigning in our lives is that we, we may even hear the gospel. We may even believe it to some extent. But unless we surrender to Jesus and begin to build a foundation in our lives, our, our faith and our actions may not mesh up if we are not pursuing Jesus the way that God has designed us to. The good news is, is that Jesus has given us a way to build a foundation in our lives. And he starts to tell us that in verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house, could not shake it because it had been well built. So here we see that Jesus wants us to develop a deep foundation every day. And he tells us three things that we must do. We must come to Jesus, we must hear his words, and we must do his words. The, the coming to Jesus can mean a couple of things. 
Initially, when we come to an understanding that we are sinners before God and that we need Jesus to save us from our sins, that, that's that initial coming to Jesus where we may walk the aisle and tell somebody about it and we may be baptized. And, but there's really an, an everyday coming to Jesus that we have an opportunity uh, to come to him in, in faith every day. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One of my favorite times of the day is when I come home. Uh, when I come home, I, I, I come in and I announce I'm home, and most days, most days, my kids come running, and they give me a big hug, and Sophie says, Daddy, and, and a lot of times Car- Carson's working on his homework, so his reaction is he's a little distracted, but in that moment, I get to embrace Sophie, and, and there's a reality that soaks in, The reality is that Sophie has most likely given mommy difficulties all day long and that she's probably only going to eat about a tenth of what we've prepared, that that bath time is going to be like a naval battle, and that she's likely going to wake us up a couple times throughout the night because that's just what she does. But in that moment, in that moment, I'm enjoying her embrace. I'm enjoying who she is, and I'm so so thankful for her in that moment. And I think that's, that's Jesus so many times in our life when we come to him he, he knows us. He knows our hearts. He, he knows where we falter and where we fail. But in that moment, he is embracing us and loving us. Now, typically in your life, God is going to be the initiator when it comes to him pulling you in. We see a beautiful example in Luke chapter 15 with the prodigal son, how, uh, how the father uh, pulls up his tunic and runs to the son that has fallen away and he embraces the son and hugs him and puts the signet ring upon his his finger. That, that is a typical example of how God pursues us in our life. But there are occasions, there are occasions where God receives remarkable glory when we take the initiative, when we run to him. And this, this is the beauty of our Christian lives, that if we allow Jesus to build a foundation in our life, that a lot of times we can step out and we can take the initiative coming to Jesus and allow him to embrace us, allow him, the, us to enjoy time in his presence. So we want to come to Jesus. Second thing is we want to hear his words. We want to hear his words. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans ten seventeen. so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, certainly this book is typically how we hear from Jesus uh, we, through Bible intake, through doing what we're doing right now, through reading uh, our, our copy of God's word by ourselves or with a group of people in the midst of community. Maybe it's Bible memorization or Bible meditation, whatever it may be. We hear Jesus through his book. We also hear Jesus through prayer. Prayer is a powerful way that God can step into our life and start to change our will and start to change our desires. And he can speak mightily, mightily through prayer. But here's what has happened in our culture. Our lives have simply become too busy for prayer. Our, our prayers are usually short and they're sweet and they're, and they're soon forgotten. And, and for us to build the foundation that God truly desires in our life, we have to understand that we have to change that, that we, we have to make prayer a priority in our life so that we can hear from God and that we can allow God uh, to change us. Uh, quite a few years ago, there was an interesting social experiment that I thought was fascinating. Uh, there's, a, there's a gentleman named 
Joshua Bell, who is one of the most renowned violinists uh, that's alive currently. He's in his early 40s. He, he was a, a prodigal violin student who started playing when he was four years old. The way his mom knew that they should start getting lessons is he took some rubber bands and he put on the knobs of his dresser in his room and he started, he started picking out classical works by ear from those rubber bands. And his mom told his dad, you know, we should probably get that kid lessons. And, and, uh, and now he, he's one of the most renowned violinists. And, and he was in Washington, D.C. a few years ago and he was visiting the Library of Congress to see a unique a violin in their vault. And the curator said, you know, we've been thinking, uh, we would like to, we'd like to do this social experiment. We'd love for you to get involved. We want to see if beauty can transcend in a culture of busyness and, and, and can transcend in the midst of the ordinary. And, and Joshua Bell agreed. And so on a Friday in January in 2007, Joshua Bell left his hotel in a cab to go to Longfont Plaza, which is a metro station very close to the White House. And he set up right above the escalator. And so here's the reality of what was about to happen. Joshua Bell, the most renowned violinist in our country, maybe the world, would play his violin, which is one of the most renowned violins that we have in existence. It was handcrafted in 1703 by Antonio Stradivari, valued at close to $3 million, but in reality is very, very priceless. And he was going to play for 43 minutes some of the most difficult, beautiful scores of music that we have. And the experiment was to see, would people stop? Would people recognize the beauty of the moment? Would they recognize the artist? Would they recognize the beauty of the instrument? Would they recognize the music score? So for the next 43 minutes, commuters walked by like they didn't even see him. A few people would stop and pause, and he even had a tip jar. His tip jar, after 43 minutes, just came to around $35. That, that same, the very next day on Saturday night, he would play before a packed concert hall and the cheapest seat in the house was $100. And so that social experiment showed us that, that yes, people can miss beauty in the midst of the ordinary and the busy. People had their earbuds in as they were going. They had in their mind where their, their job and what they were supposed to do. They, they lined up at, at newspaper stands to, to buy lotto tickets and cigarettes and newspapers and a bottle of water. And they, they could not be distracted from their day. That in the midst of their distraction, they could not pause to see the beauty. And so the same thing can happen to us in our daily life that we can neglect to pause and allow Jesus to show us beautiful things throughout our life. When we look at church history, we see that God used ordinary people in extraordinary ways simply through prayer. We go back to the church father, Athanasius, has said that he prayed five hours a day. Uh, of, of Augustine, Augustine was said to have once spent 18 months in constant prayer. Other than resting and sleeping, he, would, he spent 18 months constantly praying. One, one of the best men of prayer that we know of, George Mueller, It is said of him that he kept a journal of over 50,000 answered prayers that Jesus had answered throughout his life. We we see that we have for God to use us in remarkable ways, the way he's designed. We have to take time for prayer. This is what Puritan Samuel Chadwick said many years ago. Satan dreads nothing but prayer. Activities are multiplied that prayer may be ousted, and organizations are increased that prayer may have no chance. The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. 
many people now that have become very serious about prayers, they're, they're, they're going back to ancient practices. Uh, a lot of people are going to fix times uh, daily, such as the daily office of prayer or divine office in which it, it, at certain times we, we, go, we use prayer kind of in this, uh, this order of, of St. Benedict of Nursia where we pause at certain times to pray. It, the, 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 earth, the ancients called it these mini Sabbaths. That uh, Saint Benedict, for instance, his philosophy of life is that we pray and we work and we rest, and that, and that was it: pray and work and rest. And he would pause at certain times of the day to seek God and to take these mini Sabbaths in which we set apart time where we rest in Him and experience Him. The next thing, third, is we do His words. So we come to Jesus, we hear His words. And we do his words. This is really the beauty of discipleship. When, the beauty of sanctification. When, when our beliefs and our actions start to, to, to match up, we see in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In John 14, verse 15, we see, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. He says it's found difficult and it's left untried. This is really where the rubber meets the road in Christianity, where we get the opportunity through the gospel and through our faith in Jesus to live out simply what we believe. And we see in doing this, we get to experience and enjoy the joy of deep dependence. That's, a, that's another blank there, the joy of deep dependence. And Jesus tells us how we can do this in verse 48, or he describes this in verse 48. The person who comes to me, hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it. We see Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. I'm sorry, we, we see him say, um, I got a little ahead of me there. We see, we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, Paul says this. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God's will for our life is for us to live in the midst of this brokenness. He has set us apart as God's people to be a light, to build his kingdom here and to to be uh, hope givers and hope sharers in this broken world. But he did not die on the cross for us, for us to live in this broken world, defeated, anxious lives. But he died for us to live in, in victory. He died for us to live in joy. And, and here he tells us, we see what Paul says, that if we set our minds on the spirit, that we can enjoy life and peace. Jesus said that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you can have abundant life. Uh, in, the, in the last service, I shared a very similar message. It just so happens sometimes the messages end up being a little bit different. But uh, out in the foyer, Carol Burley came to me and he told me a little story about a foundation issue that uh, they had in their home years ago. And he said uh, a company came out, they repaired the foundation and, and the guy, that, the worker that came out told him this. I thought it was kind of powerful. He said, you, you, can, you can build a house anywhere. You can build a house in a swamp if it has a strong foundation. I thought, you know, that, that will preach. That will preach. It, it, that's, that's God's desire for our lives is that we would build a solid and sturdy found, spiritual foundation in our lives so that we can enjoy deep dependence on him even in the midst of, this, of this, broken, this broken world. In the next verse, in verse 49, 
Jesus is going to show us the tragedy, the tragedy of weak dependence. We see in verse 49, but the one who hears and does not do them, the one who hears and does not do the words of God, the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The identity of the person that Jesus is talking about in verse 49, he, he's saying that that person heard God's word, but he didn't move to go and do God's word. And that's really when tragedy strikes, that someone understands and hears the gospel, but they do not pursue the gospel. They do not pursue the Lord. And, and this, this, is a huge, this is a huge danger in our lives. Let's go back to the iceberg model. Let's go back to that 90% of, of who you are. This is the point where we want to we look into our lives and we want to ask the question, how, how's our foundation? How's that part of us that no one sees? How is our discipleship? How's our sanctification going? Are we building a strong and sturdy foundation that, that any flood, any metaphorical or a real flood in our life will not shake us because of the gospel and what Jesus is doing in our life? But there's great danger. There's great danger in not pursuing Jesus. Uh, one of my favorite books ever is written by Paul David Tribb. It's called Dangerous Calling. And uh, it, it's kind of a ministry leadership book. But um, there's a chapter that, that he calls Big Theological Brains and Diseased Hearts. And he said that there is a unique danger in ministry for us to be theological giants, but very weak in the area of obedience. And he says that, you know, God's, God's plan for your life in this book is not that, that you would just master it, but rather you would be mastered by it. And here's what he says. He says, bad things happen when maturity is more defined by knowing than it is by being. Danger is afloat when you come to love the ideas more than the God whom they represent and the people they are meant to free. The ultimate purpose of the word of God is not theological information, but heart and life transformation. Jesus is not wanting us just to be educated by this book. He's wanting us to be transformed by this book. And this is his plans for our life. And so we, the, the good news is we get a do-over every day. As long as we wake up and we have breath in our lungs, we get a do-over. We get an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to Jesus in faith if we've never done that. We get an opportunity every day to correct the spiritual path that we're on, to maybe come to Jesus and hear his words and go and do his words. Uh, going back to our story about Joshua Bell, the violinist, some years later, actually in 2014, he got to do a do-over concert. They, they understood the, the effects and, and kind of what that social experiment did, and, and they, put, uh, they advertised that Joshua Bell would return to a metro station, not Longfont, but to Union Station, which is much, much larger, that he was going to return for a concert, and they wanted to see what would happen if they advertised it. They set up a little stage, they set up a PA system, and Joshua Bell played for about an hour in Union Station with thousands of people packed in their standing room only. And when he finished, there was an eruption of applause. And it, and it was a beautiful sight. It was a beautiful sight that, that thousands of people gathered and they recognized the beauty and excellence in, in that moment. 
And it's a beautiful sight when we get to do a do-over, when we get to change our direction, we get to allow Jesus to change our course, and we get to pursue him and start to build a vibrant, vibrant foundation in our lives. We've got a do-over opportunity every day to pursue obedience. And so here's what we have to ask. What is God calling you to do that would require radical obedience? We're all at different places. Maybe you have never made that initial response to the gospel in your life. Maybe this morning you want to come forward and and, uh, talk to us about how you can pray to receive Jesus that you can become a child of God, that you can walk out of your old life that is dead and walk into beautiful newness of life that only God can provide. Or maybe you have prayed to receive Jesus, maybe years ago, and you've never taken that next step of believer's baptism. We had a student in the first service come forward and and say, hey, I, I prayed to receive Jesus when I was eight years old, but I come today and I want to tell everybody that I want to take that next step of obedience and be baptized. Maybe God is calling you to a unique obedience in your life to where you're going to devote yourself to your spiritual growth, where you're going to devote yourself to your sanctification, where you want to set apart specific times of your day for prayer, and you want to set apart specific times of your day to seek God in his word. Maybe he's calling you to start a small group or start a mentoring relationship with someone, or maybe he's calling you to reach out and share your faith with someone, or maybe he's calling you to serve somewhere in our church. Maybe he's calling you to reconcile with someone who has wronged you or maybe you've wronged someone else. But all of us, we have an opportunity every day. We have an opportunity for a do-over because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We have opportunity for a do-over every day to step outside of our disobedience and to run to Jesus, to come to Jesus, to hear his words, and then to go and do his words. Let's pray. Jesus, we are grateful, Lord, for this book. We're grateful, Lord, for your truth. Ultimately, Lord, we are so thankful for what you have done for us on the cross. Father, it's an amazing thought to think about what you can do with obedient people, people that love you and love your gospel and are willing, Lord, to step outside of this room and go and share your goodness and your grace with others. It's an amazing thought to think about what can happen in the life of our church. We're so excited, Lord, about the things that you're doing. Lord, we're thankful that there's a group of people that are meeting to reestablish a a vision. Lord, we're thankful for so many of the remodeling that is going on. We're thankful that we have a servant and a pastor that has labored for over 30 years. And Lord, we're thankful that he is ready to move forward in, in the future with a vibrant new vision to reach our community. Lord, we are ready. Your people are ready. We simply ask, Lord, that you would go with us in your presence and that you would, you would call your people to step up and to step out into obedience, Lord, to you. Father, in this time as we have a, a song of invitation, Lord, this time is, uh, Lord, for you to work in the hearts of your people. Lord, show us areas in our heart, Lord, we need to change. Show us the areas that we need to step out into radical obedience. Jesus, we love you and we love your word. Jesus, and we pray. Amen.